trust is something that um, it's, it feels like uh, trust is something that takes a long time to build, but it's something that can be very quickly lost and, and easily broken. Um, as I bring up that, that word trust, it may actually bring up stories or experiences you've had in, in your mind, in your life, moments where either your trust in a person was strengthened or your trust in a person was broken. Um, there are, especially, you know, in the times that we're in and as, as political as everything is right now with an election uh, just a few days away, that ability to hold to trust has probably been really diminished. Um, there's probably, like, you, you've probably experienced this, and I have with, with many people as I've been out interacting with different people, there, how there's this feeling as though um, people are just kind of operating on empty. You know, the gas tank is emptied out, and, and there's nothing left in the reserves, and people are just kind of with nerves exposed, and, and how there's not a lot of trust with other people, and, and there's this feeling of, like, I just got to hold on to what I have, and I got to, like, you know, shove my way through and, and wrestle to get what I need and what I want, and there's just this intensity that is not really based on having trust, trust for any other person. And so, as we talk about trust this morning, we have to realize that, you know, trust is a gift from God, and we're going to look at that through the sermon this morning. In preparing for the sermon, I was reminded of this moment that um, I, I share, I can share in a lighthearted way now when, the, when this moment happened, when this experience happened, it was not uh, something that I was definitely, I'm still not proud of, but I wasn't proud of in the moment, and um, I was really quite embarrassed, but um, if you've had children, um, you know that being a new parent, um, you don't always know what you don't know until you're in the moment. Uh, with with kids, and so you know we've had we've had fumbles along the way in parenting, and moments where um, you know things don't go the way that we planned and that we expected. And uh, there's this story that um, I've shared a few times uh, in different places, and now I guess I'm sharing online for anybody in the world to know about where my my um, dad skills were um, really subpar. But uh, this is with our firstborn, Cavin. Uh, it was just you know within a, a month or two. Kristen could probably tell you exactly how old. He was, but um, we were we were in our home and um, uh, in our bedroom. We had an attached bathroom to the bedroom, and and Kristen's getting ready and she's blow drying her hair and stuff. And I'm sitting in the floor next to the bed, holding Cavan, our our little. He's not quite a newborn, but he's still you know only a month or two old. And we're playing, and I have him kind of leaned up against my knees, and I'm talking to him, and he's laughing. And then I I get this idea that, you know, it, I, I, I lost self-control for a moment. And I, you know, you see in like movies or like um, sometimes even like billboard pictures of like the dad throwing the kid up in the air and the kid's like, ah, and they're so happy, excited, right? So I, I, I do that. But the thing is, is, you know, Kevin's a newborn. <laughs> Kevin is a baby, doesn't even have like head neck control yet. And I take him and I'm like, oh, da, 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 and I throw him up in the air and not, not, real high because we're sitting on the floor. I just kind of toss him up and I catch him and he loses it, screaming. And Kristen sees it happen and her mouth is just hanging open like, what did you just do? Have you lost your mind? And and I was like, I don't, I just, you know, you'd throw them up in the air and it's fun and they think they're flying. And she was like, maybe with a two or three year old or when they get older, but you don't do it with a two month old. And I was like, I, I, I yeah. Uh, I, and I, in that moment, I took little, little, precious baby Kevin and his sweet, sweet self and so trusting of his dad. And he's in this moment where we're just laughing together and he's, he's giggling and I tossed him in the air. And, um, 
For a fearful moment, he had no idea what was happening. I still have his face in that moment uh, kind of seared into my memory. And um, I will promise you, with the next two of our kids, that did not happen. I, I knew better. But it's one of those moments, again, that I'm not, I'm not proud of. It's a funny story now. He's okay. But in the moment, like, I, I couldn't get him to calm down. Kristen took him and was trying to calm him down. Because in that, the, the vulnerability of that moment and his trust in me was betrayed. Um, maybe, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, in his, in his baby mind, there's not, not knowing even if he understood what was going on, where he goes for a moment where he's safe and, and being held by his dad, and then he's just tossed in the air. And sometimes for us, we can, we can be in that same place, especially, especially us to God, where it feels as though the certainty and the, the safety and the security that we feel with God our Father and, 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 and um, our experience of life is all of a sudden just kind of like ripped out from under us and we're free falling, you know? And so this morning, as we talk about trust, I, I want us to recognize that trust is, it is a gift from God. You know, in this world, we have to realize that genuine trust is something that it's, it's actually radical and it's in rare supply. And so when we talk about having trust, we, we realize that when trust is betrayed, when trust is broken, you know, between us and another person, or maybe even between us and God, and we feel that brokenness of trust, it starts to damage things. It damages relationships. It, it, it can keep people from even truly entering into relationship with, with one another, within, within community, within workspaces, or in neighborhoods. Um, and when there's been a betrayal and a brokenness of trust, it can cause us to isolate or self-protect. Sometimes, even when we step into a new setting, with new people, and we're trying to build new relationships because of past betrayals and brokenness of trust, it can actually keep us from being able to fully be present with people who, who haven't even had a chance to betray us or break our trust. And so we realize that this, this idea of trust is such a precious commodity. It's such a, a valuable resource. And when we try to live out of a place of trust, especially in the biblical sense of trust and faith, it's it's something that is so countercultural, so backward to our world. And so um, we can find ourselves sometimes just living in a way of trying to, trying to play it safe, you know, trying to, to um, find this like comfortable way of living where we feel as though we're in control and we're kind of determining our own decisions and the direction that our life takes and that we're making our own decisions to, to kind of to play it safe and, and favor ourselves. And when we do that, we can actually end up in a place where we're not living even with a trusting relationship toward God. Maybe you've heard this saying, and it's, it's not in the Bible. This may actually blow your mind, but um, there's the saying, God helps those who help themselves. That's not actually biblical at all. And it, it actually goes against what Christ Jesus has called us to. Instead of being a people who, who help ourselves, who seek our own way and, and, and try to live out kind of a rugged, self-determined way of living, we actually see through the example of Christ Jesus and, and the scriptures that we'll read this morning that we're called to a relationship of, of trust, a relationship of vulnerability with God and with others. And so when we talk about being grounded in trust this morning, realize that it may actually bring up some feelings in you. It may bring back to mind some places where trust has been broken, trust has been betrayed. And so my prayer has been for you today that as you hear, you would hear in your, in your heart and in your spirit, you would hear in a way of openness and, and listening to what God is calling you into, what, what God is, is drawing you closer toward, and, and maybe renewing and refreshing, restoring and healing a place of trust inside of you. Now there's um, this, this scripture, there's many scriptures 
that deal with trust throughout the, the Bible. There's the range of interpretation for the words around trust, both in the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the Greek, are, are so varied. It comes out as trust. It comes out as assurance, as faith, as faithfulness, um, a, a security. Like that, that idea of trust gets translated in many different ways in our English translations. And so when we look at the scriptures, um, we don't have to go very far to actually see places where where trust is on display, where God is, is teaching us how to have trust, whether it's in the Psalms or the Proverbs, where we're seeing the virtues of, of trust, or, or maybe in the New Testament, the stories of Jesus, where, where people are experiencing uh, heightened moments of trust and faith in Jesus Christ, or as Paul is calling to the new believers and saying that you are called to be a, a community of faith that's in Christ Jesus and living in a trusting way with God the Father and with one another. And so this morning, as we Look at the story that I want to uh, see and kind of study and pull some, some elements from. Um, I, I want us to see a moment in the story of Jesus where um, if you give it just a surface read, it may actually be confusing. It may actually lead you to a place of going, ooh, Jesus, I mean, what are you saying there? Like, that, that's kind of that's harsh words that you're using. But there's something deeper in this story, this interaction that Jesus has with a person in the Gospels that is going to show us a way of embracing and embodying trust and faith that maybe we've never thought about before, or maybe we're being called back to, um, that we've abandoned at some point along the way. And so I want you to um, go to your Bible, whether it's on your phone or you've got a, a paper Bible in your hands, or, or maybe it's just online and you want to Google the scriptures. Um, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, verse um, 21. The scriptures, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but the scripture, um, the story of Jesus is told in this way. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre Sidon. Verse 22, a Gentile, some translations say a Canaanite woman who lived there came to Jesus pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. He just ignored her. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. They say, tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Verse 24, then Jesus turns and he says to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him and pleaded again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, and this is where it gets pretty harsh. If it hasn't already been pretty harsh, he says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that is true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Jesus responds, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, I will tell you, with this passage of Scripture and, and different theologians and, and biblical scholars along the way um, over, over the centuries, they've really wrestled with what's happening here. What's, ha what's happening in this moment where the Jesus we see here in, in, in response and interaction with this woman um, seems to almost be in opposition to the Jesus that we see in, in many different other places in the Gospels and the Jesus stories. 
one of the things that we recognize here immediately um, for this woman is the fact that she's named as a Gentile or a Canaanite. It was a way in, in, in scripturally of saying that she was considered an outsider. She would have been culturally considered a person who had no right to try to possess anything from Jesus, to request anything of him or to, to lay claim to anything from Jesus, who was a, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. Um, she not only in her approach to Jesus is approaching him as a, as a Gentile, but also as a Gentile woman. So it's like second class, then, then actually lower than that as well. And so she comes to Jesus, and as she starts to interact with Jesus, she's, she's crying out to him. The word in the Greek is karazo. It's, it's actually a word, like a, a word sound, that automatopoeia, if you know um, literary terms. It's a, it's a word in the Greek that's supposed to sound like the way that, that crows sound whenever they're uh, crying out, caw, caw, caw. So karazo, it, it literally means this like incessant over and over again, just crying out like a loud sound that is repeated. It's this urgent screaming, screeching. You know, one, one um, way of defining it is that the, the crying out is with a way of like inner, inarticulate shouts that express a deep emotion. And so what you can see here happening in the story, when, when we start to just take a little bit of a deeper look beneath the surface, is that there is something really potent and intense that's starting to happen here. Jesus has just come out of Galilee, and he's, he's entering another region. So he's been active in ministry, and, and he's kind of traveling to the next place. And then that travel is interrupted by this moment of this woman coming, and she is sobbing. She's, she's crying out. She's shrieking. She's saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And, and in that crying out, what she's crying out is, is a crying out to, to Jesus to respond to a need. And it's not just a surface level, like lighthearted need. Like she's crying out and saying, my, my daughter is, is possessed by a demon and it torments her severely. Some translations talk about that the severity is torments her almost to death. And so the, here's this heart of a mom who's crying out to Jesus, the son of God, and saying, Lord, help me. And then we have Jesus who doesn't respond. He initially doesn't even, doesn't even look her way. He just ignores her and keeps going. Can you imagine? Jesus traveled with not just his disciples, but there was kind of a crowd that would, would follow along with Jesus as he went one place to another. And so in this moment, it's got to be pretty awkward, right? Because here this crowd is like everybody knows the lady's screaming, and she's screaming, asking for help, and Jesus just keeps on walking. So then the disciples are like, hey, um, <clears throat> Jesus, like you want us just to send her away? What, what do you, you want us to do something here? Like how, how do we like, well, We'll, we'll dive in here, like we can go, you know, bodyguards and kind of keep her away if you want. And, and, and then Jesus, he stops and he turns to her. And then even in his conversation with her, he starts from a place that, that appears on a surface level to be dismissive, demeaning, that, that appears to just kind of respond out of like kind of the status quo. I mean, theologians have struggled with this passage of scripture. Some, some theologians even look at it and say that in this, in this passage, part of what's happening here is um, they said, well, you know, because Jesus was, was fully human too, and he'd been so active in ministry, he was probably just really tired. And so out of his exhaustion, he was like, oh, not another. But I don't think we can accept that as a real legitimate explanation for what's going on here. Other theologians have actually said, well, you know, maybe, maybe God was using the woman to teach Jesus something in, the, in the, the back and forth conversation and, you know, the scraps from the master's table and all that, that she, God was using 
the woman to teach Jesus something. And if you start to venture very far down that road, that starts to become really troublesome. And so it's kind of like, yikes, I, I don't think that could be it. We see that, that some of the great theologians, some very ancient theologians like um, like Augustine and even Martin Luther and, and other contemporary theologians respond to this passage and go, you know what? There's actually something deeper here that's happening where, where Jesus, the ultimate teacher, the one who is always understanding things, not just as they appear, but seeing it on a deeper level, is actually in this moment, using this as a moment to reveal something, not so much reveal something to the woman, and definitely not to, for him to, to be learning some insight he didn't have before, but it's actually a moment where he's teaching something to the onlookers. To, he, he's, he's showing something and revealing something in the nature of the hearts of those that are, are, are looking on or, or maybe those that would have been reading Matthew's gospel earliest or maybe even to us that it's, it's starting to reveal something that's in our hearts as we see Jesus' response to this woman. You know, in this interaction, part of what's happening here is Jesus is inviting the interaction from this woman. He, he's using it to expose the depths of her faith, but he's also using it to show the shallowness of those that were holding on to tradition, cultural expectations, racial separation between groups that were holding on to that tighter than responding in mercy, in kindness. And so as Jesus interacts with her and he says these words that probably to the onlookers sounded like, hey, exactly right. Yep, yep. You know, he, he's not here for you. You know, no, no, no. He's here for, for the, the, the true children of God, the Jewish people. Like, step aside. As Jesus draws her in, what he's doing is he's using her faith to reveal something so deep and powerful about trust and about faith. The great reformer Martin Luther called this a story in which Jesus is chasing the faith of his followers in order that they would become more strong and firm in their faith, that he's, that he's calling something forward in this moment. It's through Jesus' interaction that he's calling out this woman's trust and her faith, and he's calling it to be put on display to the crowd that's listening to the crowd of onlookers, to the disciples, to the religious people that would have been mixed in, the Pharisees that, that were always watching for Jesus to trip up. And so in this moment, as he has this banter back and forth with this woman, we have to trust and know that first of all, Jesus already knew her heart and her motivation. He probably knew the moment before she ever even cried out first in pain. And so in this, he's not, he's not unaware of what she's facing. There's no way. So in the interaction back and forth, what he's doing is he's allowing the intensity of this mother's heart, of her trust in, in God that's being expressed in Christ Jesus, to come forward like a tidal wave and to keep pushing and pushing so that not only a miracle would happen in her house and her daughter would be set free, but that for all of those that are looking on, they would learn there is something different and more powerful about a faith in Jesus Christ that presses forward and presses against what seems to be opposition, that, that, that moves beyond just the, the cultural norms and expectations and impresses into something that's so radically different and upside down. Understanding that for this woman and in her heart, he, he's calling out this place and giving her permission I mean, all eyes would have been on her in that moment. It's like passing her the microphone and saying, say what you have to say. 
He, he, he allows in his intensity of, of, of kind of pushing back a little bit for, for it to be as though the, the, the stream and the, the force of her emotion and, and what she's expressing to, be, to come forward and flooding um, forward into this moment. And so with this, we see like not only does Jesus, he, he, he allows this kind of like back and forth, but he starts to name some things. He, you know, he, he quotes the racial dividing line. He he, he calls her a dog, which would have been culturally one of the things that the Jewish people named Gentiles. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he calls her a dog. And then her faith comes back and says, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I'm a dog, so be it. But still, even the dogs get just a, a morsel, a scrap from the master's table. And so I'm pressing in even more. So be it. You're going you're gonna to say that. That's fine. But I still need something here from you. And, and she's pushing forward to see the miracle happen. And as she does, what does Jesus do? It's like the charades up. And he goes, you know what? Your faith is great. And in that moment, you have to believe. Like if, if you could have heard a pin drop, you, you would have the crowd probably would have been astonished because they would have fully expected the next statement from Jesus, not your faith is great and, and the miracle has happened. They would have expected him to be calling the disciples in of like, okay, I've put her in her place, move her out of the way. Let me get back to my business. But instead he says, your faith is great. He affirms her. He shows them that there is something radically different that is in her heart when it comes to trust and faith and pressing on and pressing forward that's willing to overcome embarrassment, that's willing to overcome cultural norms and standards. It's willing to, to move to a place of saying, I so desperately need you, God, um, to, to work in my house, in my situation, in my family, that I'm gonna hold tightly and I'm not gonna let go. And he affirms her in that. See, when we see this moment in Jesus' ministry through the right lens, we start to see the power of trust that's so radical. It's like, a, it's like a, her, her, her trust was like a pinpoint laser just focused in on the heart of God. And so there's a few things that I want to draw out of this for us to learn and understand that we can apply to our own lives when it comes to this place of being grounded in trust. Number one, trust is countercultural. Write that down if you're taking notes that trust is countercultural. One of the first things we see is, is this, you know, cultural breaking moment that happens between Jesus and Gentile. I've already said that, but we know that there's many times where Jesus does that, where he has a conversation with a person that he shouldn't have been talking to. He goes and has dinner at the house of somebody that he shouldn't have been having dinner with. He gets called a friend of sinners. And so there's this place where Jesus is constantly stepping over and just blowing right past cultural expectations of his day and his time. There are these stereotypes that, that existed, that Jesus was constantly moving beyond and recognizing the God-given value that existed in humanity. And he's showing us, he's challenging us and saying that when you have faith, when you have trust in God, there's this place of belonging that overcomes all of that. But then when we see this, this, this banter back and forth as Jesus still, he kind of uses, he uses the, the, the um, props that would have been used by the, the day and the people of his time to, to separate people out and hold people back. He kind of brings those into conversation, but we have to see it through a way of a, a lens that um, he's using those to reveal something in the hearts of people who, who carry that around in their pocket as their quick go-to. British theologian, um, Reverend Adam Clark from the 1800s, he, he describes this, this passage in this way. He says, the hindrances thrown in this woman's way by, by Jesus, the hindrances thrown in this woman's way only tended to increase her faith. 
Her faith resembled a river, which becomes enlarged by the dams that oppose it, till at last it sweeps over them and carries them away entirely. It's like her faith was this river that every time Jesus put up opposition, it was like putting a dam in the way. And, and as the floodwaters build up behind it, then it rushes over and it rushes forward and it, it just explodes into this moment of such a great expression of faith. But then, you know, Adam Clark, theologian, he, he continues and he says, persevering faith and prayer are next to omnipotent, meaning like all powerful. This is one of the finest lessons of the Bible. Look to Jesus and don't be discouraged at a little delay. Look up, your salvation is at hand. Jesus admires this faith to the end. We may admire and imitate it and may reap the same fruit and advantages from it. Like part of what he's naming here is the fact that when we, when we express faith in this way, um, it's gonna come up against opposition. We're gonna experience trials and difficulties. We're gonna experience uncertainties. We're gonna have people hold us back or, or um, call us names or, or try to put us in our place. But there's a way of actually experiencing that so that it doesn't decrease and diminish and destroy our faith, but that it would be like a dam put into a river where the floodwaters start to build up and build up until they finally crush over. And there's just this rushing forth of true trust and faith. It, here in this story, it gives us the ability to be able to see what faith is like when it presses on past what seems to be an obstacle in the way. When, it, when, when our vision is able to see beyond the obstacles that are in front of us and that we can move forward and stay locked in on what God says about us, about who we are and what it means to have faith and trust in him. It helps us to move past the things that even maybe become obstacles for us that fill our news feeds, that, that cause us to be in this place of feeling discouraged and overwhelmed, that betray and, and, and seem to break our trust. We're actually seeing that through this story that, that trust is uh, this trust that flows like a powerful river and then it breaks down dams that are intended to hold it back. Like when we hold on tightly to trust in this way, to faith in this way, we realize that it's not our own, that, it, that it's a confidence and a trust that comes from Jesus Christ, that it flows from God and recognizing that God is greater than anything we face, any obstacle that may come in our way, that God is eternal beyond the circumstances of our day or of our year. God is greater. One of the things in talking about trust this morning that I wanted to make sure that we do as a church is for, for us to pause for a moment and pray for the election that will we'll, um, wrap up on Tuesday. As, as people finish voting this week, we realize it is closing out a season of intensity around political division that has brought separation and intensity between people. Um, it's forced people either to, to go deeper and deeper into the intensity of social media or caused others to retreat entirely and say, I'm out, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. But either way, wherever you may even find yourself on that spectrum, we realize that God is greater. So even this morning, as we talk about trust, I want us to pause for a moment now as a church to pray for, for the trust that is in God and God alone and realizing that God is greater, that we rest in God's hands. And so will you just for a moment now pray with me as we um, recognize what we are facing as a country and as a nation this week. And, and regardless of the outcome of an election or, or the different elections and things that are gonna be voted on this week, we are going to be a people that are putting our faith and our trust in God first, 
foremost before anything else. So let's pray together now. God, I thank you that in this moment, as we stand together as your children, we recognize that we belong to you. God, would you allow us in these moments to come back to a a centering of you at the center of our lives? As we talk about trust this morning, I pray, God, that you challenge our hearts to be mindful, even this week, whether we've we've voted already or we will be voting, um, that, Lord, the action of voting is participating in, yes, a privilege that we have in this country and this nation, but it's not a place of, of making our faith and our allegiance to this world, anything of this world. God, I pray that you bring us back to a place of being able to find a peace in our hearts and our lives. God, would you give us a remembrance that we are in your hands? I pray, God, that you give us the ability to have a compassion for one another out of the example of Christ Jesus. God, would you help us to be mindful of the fact that we need one another? Elections will come and go. Presidents will serve and then leave office. Things will happen as as our country moves forward from one time, from one uh, president to another, from from different ways of governing and ruling, and as laws are, are put into place or struck down, we realize that those things change, but God, you are eternal. And so I pray, God, this morning that you would bring us back to a place of that holy unity that is found in you. God, I pray that you would help us to be people of compassion and love, centered and grounded in you and you alone. We pray, God, that you would help uh, there to be a, a ceasing of the intensity and the fight that, that exists between so many. I pray, God, that you would do the work of restoring broken relationships and bring us back to a place of being trusting in you and you alone. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this passage of scripture, we realize that it teaches a countercultural trust. That's really what trusting God is and faith. It, it cuts against the example of this world and what this world teaches us. But another way that it really um, hits us in such a countercultural way, number two, is the fact that trust demands vulnerability and it creates humility. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Number two, trust demands vulnerability and it creates humility. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 13. It's not a very long psalm. It's only just six verses, but this is what the psalmist writes, Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, oh Lord, my God. You can hear echoes of even what that woman was crying out to Jesus on behalf of her daughter. Continuing with the psalm, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Verse number four, don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This is what trust does. Trust gives us a place of grounding in God's unfailing love. And so as we find ourselves grounded in God's unfailing love, just like the psalmist says, the psalmist says like, it's all falling apart. There's pain and there's chaos all around me. But God, as I am dependent on you, as I place my trust in you, I'm able to, to rejoice because I know that it's you who rescues me. It's you who lifts me up. 
And so in a way, what we see happening for the psalmist, and in the same way for us, is we embody trust, or, or like the, the Gentile woman in the story with Jesus, we realize that rather than holding to pride or arrogance, genuine trust in God, and even in others, brings us to a place of acknowledging our own needs. Because if we're not a trusting person, we'll never acknowledge our needs to another person or even to God. And so for us to actually embody trust in a godly way, to have faith in God, and even to have faith in one another within, within the community of faith, within the body of Christ, we have to be in a place of vulnerability. We have to be willing to name our need. We have to be willing to, to recognize that, that we have things that we need from God, and if we aren't willing to open our mouth and express it to God, then we can't truly have faith or trust. And then the same is true in our relationships with one another especially within the church, if we are going to experience community as the body of Christ, then for us to have trust with one another demands that we will have humility. It expects that we'll operate in vulnerability, that we're willing to be real with one another. You think again of that mother crying out to Jesus on behalf of her daughter. In a moment of trying to reach out and touch the heart of God, she says, I don't care who's listening. I don't care who's holding me back. I am going to cry out to God because my trust, that great faith that Jesus names, is, is, is building up so strong and, and, and it's being displayed in such vulnerability that Jesus is able to move and, and move in and see a miracle happen. And so in the same way for us, there are places in our lives where we're desperately needing to see a miracle happen. But because we hold on to, to self-protection, because we isolate, we're not willing to be vulnerable in a Christ-like way. We're not willing to, to lay down our pride or, or lay down our past hurts and embody true trust and true faith. The miracle's delayed. We keep holding back. We're not able to truly experience the full freedom that Christ Jesus has called us to. It's only in recognizing our needs that um, we'll be able to meet those needs in healthy ways. When, when we're willing to, to let others in, to stand alongside us, then we can experience the strengthening that happens in, in the body of Christ when we can lift one another up because we've built relationships of trust, of vulnerability. It's important primarily us to God. But we, if, we, if we can't get it right between us and God, then we're never gonna be able to get it right between one another as well. To be filled with trust means that we're willing to take a knee before God and cry out, Jesus I need you. Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. There's a great prayer practice. It's called a breath prayer, where as you inhale, you breathe. Jesus, you say, Jesus, son of God. And as you exhale, have mercy on me. That's the same words that this woman was crying out. Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And to pray that in repetition. And what it does is it acknowledges our need. And what, what that does is acknowledging our need doesn't destroy our trust. It doesn't erode our trust. It doesn't cancel out our faith in God. But as we name our needs before God, what it does is it opens up this place of vulnerability in us. It brings us to a place of humility. Again, it's countercultural. It's radical. But this is the very thing that true Christian community is built on, the foundations of trust. It's primarily our trust in God, but it's also our trust in one another. 
And, and when we live in this way, part of what happens, what, what comes out of this is what Paul named in, in the book of Ephesians that we read through is that as we come together in this trusting, vulnerable way with one another in Christ Jesus, it's then through that that the church becomes the display of the manifold wisdom of God. That manifold, that, that beautiful, multicolored patchwork coming together tapestry of the wisdom of God. It happens. And again, it's, it's so backward to the way that our world operates. See, one of our deepest needs as humans and the way that we've been made by God is to, to know others, but to also be known by others, to know and to be known. It's a deep human need. And when we live in a place where, where we're in seasons of sustained distance from one another, where we feel isolated, where we feel like nobody really knows me, nobody, nobody knows what's going on, nobody knows what I'm facing, that starts to cycle in our mind and our hearts where it breaks down our faith. It erodes our trust. It makes us less and less vulnerable and less and less humble toward others and toward God. And, and as that goes on for far too long, what that can do is actually invade other parts of our life where then we, we start to see everything differently. It's like a, it, it paints a tent over everything where we can't truly see our, ourselves and others in the way that God sees us. And so in this moment that Jesus has with this mother, it's like, it's like all of that gets ripped away. He, he holds up to the crowd and says, look, these are the excuses that all of you would use of why I shouldn't respond to this woman. And, and, and as he holds it up, she keeps pressing forward and pressing forward and, and tearing back those cultural demands, those, those distancing phrases that, that um, objectify and, and, and stereotype and, and push away. And, and she says, you know what? If I'm a dog, then so be it. I'm a dog. But even the dogs get crumbs. And that's all I need is just a little bit of you to see a miracle happen. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we really living in a way where we're embodying trust? We're embodying this, this God-given trust and faith that then gets expressed in our lives with, with true vulnerability, true humility. But in the same way, as we, as we live in a place of seeing trust is countercultural, that trust, it starts to, to um, create vulnerability and, and, and leads to humility. Number three, trust also leads us deeper into the things of God. So write that down if you're taking notes. Number three, I'm going to start to wrap things up here. Number three, trust leads us deeper into the things of God. We see this in the scriptures that there is an undeniable link between trust and knowing God, especially knowing God through God's word. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. Romans 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ Jesus. Faith comes from hearing the good news. Hearing the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, that's where, that's where our faith comes from. And so there's this ability to realize that as we're desiring to build trust in God, maybe to see it renewed and restored, refreshed in a way that we've never experienced before, one of the ways that we're going to find that is as we find a greater depths into God's word, a willingness to, to, with regular repetition, be praying and reading scripture, exposing ourselves to God's word, and then through that, it leads us deeper and deeper into the things of God. Trust is, is it's knowing God's word and then it's doing it. So when we see those examples or those things that are called out in scripture of ways that we're supposed to live, 
examples in scripture that um, name things maybe in our life that we hold too tightly to and, and we're supposed to not be living in, uh, according to the patterns of this world, but that we're actually seeing our minds and our spirits being renewed through Christ Jesus. Then we allow that process to keep happening, that transformation to keep happening. And as we do, trust keeps leading us deeper and deeper into the things of God. I love this, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. The wisdom writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We could stop right there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Sit with that for a moment. Do we truly trust in the Lord with all of our heart? Think back on the actions of even this last week, the patterns of how you've lived, the routines of your day, the words that you've said, the frantic thoughts that you've thought. Are we truly living as people that trust in the Lord with all of our heart? But then the, the writer continues, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek God's will in all you do, and God will show you which path to take. So many times, the places where anxiety and fear start to take up residence in our hearts, in our minds, or in the places where we don't know which path to take. We don't know which way to go. And we find ourselves repeating those same worries in our mind over and over again, turning it over this way and turning it that way and, and, and waking up in the middle of the night with our mind and our thoughts racing. And we're in this place of, of just trying to figure it out and sort it out. And all the while, the voice of God is calling to us and saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. You don't have to depend on your own understanding. You don't know it all. You don't have it all figured out. And even if you make the wrong decision, if you go the wrong way, God is bigger, God is greater. And so he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. If you just seek God's will, if you seek God's way in all that you do, he'll show you the right path. He'll show you which way to go. Think again of like that, that trust, that faith river that is being built up by the, the resistance of the dams that get put in front of it. As, as, as more and more of the floodwaters start to build up beyond, behind that dam, there are those places where as we just lean into God with all of our understanding, that then the floodwaters crush over and, and, and wash over the dam, and there's just faith that starts to flood forward. That is where the transformation really begins to happen in our life. And this is what happens with faith. It leads us deeper and deeper into the things of God. And it may not make sense to the world around us, but the evidence of it in our lives will be there. So then we begin to see things like peace, a peace that's beyond anything that we could really comprehend. Our circumstance wouldn't even allow for us to have the peace that we have, but it's because of our faith and our trust in God. We start to experience this place of just a supernatural security and reassurance of knowing that I am in Christ Jesus, that I am covered and I am protected by the Holy Spirit, and I am a child of God. A place where we start to grow in a freedom from fear and to live in a way that's not, not reckless and not careless, but a way of knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. We start to even experience this strengthening that lifts us up, that gives us the ability to face our day and weather the attack of the enemy. Remember, we looked at it in Ephesians, the armor of God, that shield of faith that we hold in front of us that can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. And so then we come to a place of even when the enemy is on attack, even when the flaming arrows are firing right at me, I have this shield of faith, this trust in God that God is with me that he's got me, he's my protector, he's my defender. I know that this word is for you that are listening today because we need it. We desperately need a place of seeing a trust that continues to lead us deeper into the things of God.
There's this response of God that, that as we begin to trust and, and as we begin to take a step forward, that, that, that it's like Jesus just keeps drawing us and pulling us closer. Again, in Romans, Paul writes this, I pray, one of those wonderful Paul prayers, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. That would be a great verse to memorize and, and one to, to pray over your children if you have kids or to pray over your spouse or, or people that you love within your, your family or your friends. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. Again, what Paul is saying is we have to realize that, that trust and, that, and faith is not something that we just kind of like carry around in our pocket like our keys that we can accidentally like, oh, I, where did they go? I, I misplaced them. I can't figure out. I lost them somewhere along the way. Or it's not something that, you know, a thief can break in and steal or, or somebody can snatch out of our hands. Trust and faith in this way is something that the Holy Spirit places inside of us and that as we, we um, are filled to overflowing, then um, there's this confident hope that begins to just overflow and exude from our lives. It's not something that is easily taken away from us or, or accidentally misplaced somewhere along the way, but that as we allow the Holy Spirit to, to pour into us, we are filled to overflowing. It's a determined way of living when we have this trust and this faith in God that says this world may have all sorts of things to say about me, this world may say, be quiet, you don't belong here. This world may even say, you know what? It's time for you to just give up. It's not gonna happen. But instead, we realize a grounded and resilient trust says, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going all the way with Jesus. I am willing to put it all on the line. I know the heart of God the Father, and I will continue to cry out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, hear my cry. God, I need you here now more than I have ever needed you before. And so God, as I cry out to you, work and move. I need to see a miracle here. And maybe in that moment where that, that mother was crying out to Jesus, her cries were so loud and so intense, even in her own ears, that she couldn't have heard the people that were whispering about her. She couldn't have even seen the looks that they were giving her because she was so intently focused on Jesus. And she says, if it's just a crumb falling off the master's table, I'll take it, it's mine. And so today we come to this place of knowing, you know what, I'll say it for myself, my trust has been beaten up. My, my faith, it, it's felt so weary. As we've walked through 2020, the things that we've seen fill the calendar this past year, it's been hard. It's been hard to hold the trust. There are a lot of moments where it feels as though there's, there's more dams placed in the river of my trust and my faith than I can even count. I believe the same probably is for you as well. There are those places where you, you start to question, maybe, maybe I'm just crazy here to keep crying out and to keep trying to hold the trust and, and, and just one more time of having faith. And, and it seems too daunting. It seems like it would be easier to just, you know, throw it all in, throw it all to the side and just come what may. And so this morning, as I speak to you, I, I want you to, again, go back to being grounded in faith and seeing this example of what Jesus was calling forth, what he was, what he was pulling for wasn't just the miracle in this one woman's life, but he was doing a miracle in the hearts and lives of every person who was watching this interaction take place.
of naming those places where maybe they hold too tightly to their own excuses and their own objections and their own willingness to be prideful and, and to, to be reserved and hold back instead of crying out for the miracle that they needed, the reason they showed up and were following after Jesus. Maybe today you're one who needs to pause right where you are and cry out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And to just say it and say it, Lord, have mercy. That's what faith, that's what trust does in us. It leads us closer and closer to God. And as we pray it, it fills our hearts. It fills our minds. And as Paul prayed, I pray to God that the source of hope would fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we find ourselves today. We recognize even within a community of faith, people are going to fail us. People are going to hurt us. People are going to misunderstand. People are going to say unkind and, and, and callous things or, or not be attentive and aware in the way that they should be. That's going to happen. And so we have to come back to a place of, of, of prioritizing our trust, prioritizing our faith and saying, is my, is my trust, is my faith countercultural? Does it go against the norms and expectations of this world? Is my trust a trust that's going to be vulnerable? that it's gonna lead me closer to, to, to humility and that Christ-like example? Will I have trust even in other people that leads me deeper into the things of God rather than retreating and withdrawing? These are difficult questions to ask ourselves, to sometimes just stop and to look into the mirror and to have to say, you know what? For too long, I've allowed that, that trust to just kind of leak out and, and, and not truly build up to overflowing in the way that I need it to. But this morning, I want you to be reminded of Jesus' words, these wonderful words of Christ Jesus that say in John 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus reminds us to not let our hearts be troubled. He says to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and then you also will trust in me. Jesus and God the Father were one and the same. So this morning, as we conclude our online time together, I want us to pause for just a moment. And I hope that you're in an environment where you can be still for just a moment with the Holy Spirit. And if you're comfortable, um, I just invite you to close your eyes. We're gonna slow down for, for just a moment at the end and, and to give you a chance to be able to, to listen to the call of Christ Jesus. I truly believe today that the voice of Jesus that you would hear crying out to you is not the Jesus that's maybe in this teaching moment trying to show something to other people, but the Jesus that's saying, don't let your heart be troubled, trust in me. The Jesus that looked at those disciples and said, no, no, don't, don't push her away. Let her come to me. The Jesus that says, you know what? You are eternally at home with me. In John 14, when Jesus says these words, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. He then tells his disciples, hey, I'm leaving and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a home for you. And it's gonna be a home with the Father. And, and then you have a place where in that home you belong. There's a place of belonging for you within the family of God, within, within God's house. And I don't know about you today, but I know that this is where I long to be, that place of deep abiding, of being at home with God, where, where my trust, my faith comes from this place of a daily deep abiding 
in Christ Jesus. It gives us the ability to have that, that, that resilience that can weather the storm and the resistance, the attack of the enemy, the, the voices that would try to undermine and distract. For you today, I pray that you experience again the, the love of God that allows your roots to grow down deep into God, that then as you bear fruit, it's a fruit of trust, this, this faith that comes from Christ Jesus. So let's pause for just a moment now and listen to the Holy Spirit, asking yourself, where are the places today where I've, I've given up the fight? Where are the places where I've allowed the resistance, the dams built across the, the river of my faith, my trust, to just kind of stop the free flow and, and, and to keep it from moving forward. Listening to the Holy Spirit and, and being in a place of recognizing, you know what? I think my crying out to God got a little too wearisome for myself. My voice got tired. My spirit grew weary and I stopped crying out. Recognize today that Jesus is inviting you into that same, that same place of carazo, that crying out, the deep longing and crying out to him that causes faith to rise up, that causes there to build an intensity of trust in him that then will crash forward, that will become an overflowing river of joy and peace. So this morning as we sit with this invitation to trust, we know that it's radical and it looks nothing like this world. In Christ Jesus, I pray over each person as we learn to trust in you in new and deeper ways. I pray, Christ Jesus, that you would remind us of who we are in you, that your loving kindness would then begin to overflow in our lives. As we begin to see genuine miracles take place in our hearts and lives, that we give you all credit, that we remember to, to respond with gratitude and thankfulness and know that, that all that does is start up a cycle of more and more gratitude. And then it, it leads us deeper into trusting you. And it, it just starts to build momentum in our life. It starts to overflow to others around us. And that is what truly transforms this world. And so we place our trust in you. And from the words of Isaiah in 26, I pray God that you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I pray, God, that you would keep us in perfect peace today, that you would lead us to that place of fixing our thoughts on you and you alone, of remembering, God, that you are greater than it all. Anything we could face, God, you are greater. And so, God, we place our trust in you. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Christ Jesus. Amen.